calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to this week's episode of the Geek Buddies. Hey! What's up, everybody? Good to see everybody. I got to change my background real quick. I got caught up with all these stuff. There it is. Geek Buddies. We are here on a Friday. Very excited to be jumping into a number of topics here. We got some trailers that dropped this week that Shannon McClung is doing Dealer's Choice on. We've got some conversations about the first reacts to Ahsoka. Uh, the premiere was last night in Los Angeles, but also some of the critics, including me, got to see the first two episodes of Ahsoka. And Blue Beetle is out now in theaters. Came out last night in certain cities, but certainly out now everywhere else for people to enjoy. We're going to talk about that in our main topic uh, is going to be uh, talking about what we need to know before we see Ahsoka next week. So Michael Vogel going to handle that and lead us down the path. And we've got a little Hasbro news, speaking of Michael Vogel as well. So a lot going on in this episode. But let's see. Girl. Yes. Girl. Yes. Girl. Yes. Girl. That's all I have to say about the Hasbro news. Okay. Anyways, continue. Uh, let's introduce ourselves. I'm the outlaw, John Roker, writer, producer, host here on The Geek Buddies. I'm the in-law, Michael Vogel. I am a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. I am just a platonic friend. My name's Shannon McClung, <laughs> and I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see season three of Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, every weekend on YouTube. Yeah, and I apologize to anybody if I'm a little bright. I'm trying out a new Logitech Brio 4K camera, and uh, because my camera's been overheating with the heat here in Southern California... Uh, so I, if I'm a little soft, if I'm messing with the lights, I just want to apologize ahead of time. Also, it's been a rough morning. I had to kill a rat uh, after we caught him because he was still half alive. Uh, those little pesky fuckers with bricks uh, are real crafty. Like, you can't just drop it because it'll dodge it. I felt like I was playing a video game um, and uh, for God's amusement. So it was, uh, it's been a rough morning, but I'm excited to be hanging out with my brothers here, my buddies here. 
and talking about all the geek stuff. But I was about to I was about to make a joke about how I always love a brighter, softer Roka, but then you told that rat story and it really just changed the vibe of the episode. So I uh very uncomfortable now. I uh having a house, yeah. it ain't easy, ladies and gentlemen, especially when your neighbors won't cut down their little apple tree. Anyway, all right. Um let's get into things. I guess I'll kick it off first. Uh, we have, oh, wait, listen, real quick. The way the show works is everyone brings up a geek news item. We talk about it amongst ourselves. Take a break. And we talk about our main topic, which is Ahsoka, as we said. But let me start it off here. What a weekend for nerdy people here in the world because, and geeky people here in the world, because Blue Beetle is out now for people to enjoy. It is currently 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. It wasn't 87%. It got certified fresh, but it's down to 78% now. But overall, the reviews have been overwhelmingly positive, surprisingly positive. A number of high-end critics have liked the film and, and sung its praises. And this is such a welcome surprise when so many of the other DC films had all this drama around it. Who's going to show up? Who's not going to show up? We're cutting out cameos, not cutting out cameos. We've got a troubling uh, person as the star. Well, here comes a film that a lot of people, we were hearing the buzz around uh, that maybe it wasn't that great. You know, people weren't responding that positively overall to the trailers. But now uh, this film has come out and people are uh, talking about it in such a positive way. Gentlemen, uh, what are your reactions as you're seeing all these positive comments? I mean, my non-spoiler review is up on the channel now. We're going to do a spoiler review for sure of this movie. So uh, Zolo Maridueña starring Angel Manuel Soto directing. So, gentlemen, your thoughts when you hear all this positive buzz around a DC movie? Mikey? Cautiously optimistic? Um, uh, you know, listen, I think that one thing that has been true uh yeah. over the course of the past year mm -hmm. is that early reactions are not always the most reliable <laughs> fair so like fair. we have gotten fair. this is the greatest superhero movie of all time oh my god you're gonna love it this is going to change the landscape of baba -ba boop bop beep and it never mm. not not never but it it's sometimes uh once the actual the people go to see the movie uh <laughs> Uh, the tune changes. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, I'm cautiously optimistic. I actually am rooting for this movie. I want it to be good. I was okay. very happy that my fellow geek buddy enjoyed it as much as he did. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to him about it. Less excited if I don't like it as much as he did and we get in an argument, but it'll be way more fun for all of you to listen sure. to our spoiler reviews. So either way, it's a win-win for you. Um, but, it, you know, the bigger picture, I was texting a couple of friends the other day and we are really at a interesting inflection point in yeah. superhero movies or superhero entertainment. Yes. Um, we are now living in the entertainment world, what comic book fans have done several times in the past 60 years. Marvel's on the wane and DC feels like it's on the rise, not just with the reactions to Blue Beetle and the excitement around Superman Legacy and what Gunn is doing, but Harley Quinn season four, great yeah uh if you're not watching my adventures with superman on uh on max great dc's comic book titles right now people are really into them there's a lot of really fun stuff happening in uh in batman brave and the bold in superman in the jonathan kent comic like it just seems like there has been this shift recently that as marvel has sort of dropped the ball DC on every front feels like they're picking it up. So in that respect, I would love nothing more than for Blue Beetle to sort of ride that wave and for me to come out and saying, look, this wasn't the end-all, be-all greatest superhero movie of the world, but damn, I really like that. And they got Jaime Reyes like, right. So I'm excited. 
I feel like that's what you're going to say when you come out of this theater. Uh, Shannon, Shannon, your thoughts on uh, seeing all the positive reactions overall uh, to Blue Beetle? Uh, I mean, again, as Vogel said, cautiously optimistic. This was the one coming into the summer that we were like, this could kind of sneak in under the radar. This could be a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids like sleeper hit. Um, You know, when you look at the movies that DC had coming out, um, there was there were a lot of expectations. I mean, yeah. with the Flash, you have a a star with some very um, public troubles. Um, you also have the promise that, as as Vogel already said, this is the greatest comic book movie of all time. And other folks yeah. saying this resets the DC universe. So <laughs> yeah. the narrator, narrator, it did not. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot, there was a lot riding on the flash also with Aquaman. I mean, you know, we, we've, you know, heard the stories, the, the, the multiple reshoots, but anytime you follow up a billion dollar movie, the expectations are high. Yeah. Um, and, and, and being that it is August and we still haven't seen a trailer for this movie that's supposed to come out in December um, leads us to believe yeah. there is either a trouble on the horizon or they're going to eventually bump it. There's a storm brewing out at sea. There it is. So with Blue Beetle, um, you know, this was a movie that was supposed to be on HBO Max and that they decided they were going to release theatrically. And and I think when that first trailer came out, we were all pretty enthusiastic about it. I mean, there are the inevitable comparisons to like, look, you could tell this is they didn't throw all the money at this Mm. one. Um, That this does have sort of that made for TV look. And then when the second trailer came out, they threw so much in. It was like, ah, it feels like you're trying to oversell it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but with folks coming out of that movie, coming out of the, the screenings, and overall, the, the vibe is pretty positive. Like, I know, Johnny, you said the, the, the critical uh, consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is 78, but the audience score is 94. 94, so, yes. So, you know, I mean, again, I, I just want to go in and have a fun time with the Reyes family. Yeah. And based off of what people have said, the Reyes family really deliver. Yeah, it seems to be the criticism for most people, um, and uh, me included, because uh, if you watch my non-spoiler review, I said that, is that the villain is not that groundbreaking, and that the that's the stuff where it feels a little color-by-numbers type of thing, and so it's not as strong. But the family stuff, the Latino culture stuff, is really powerful in this one, and gets people excited, brings people into the movies, into the movie, and any issues they might have are overridden by the strength of the relationship between... Jaime Reyes and his family and what they go through and what they do throughout the movie. And I mean, there's so many really good actors, great actors playing those roles, uh, getting to do that and bring it to life. They cast this, you know, I know we talk about the big names, but when you're casting a family like this and it's the first Latino led superhero theatrical film, uh, you got to find the right actors. And they found a lot of great seasoned Latin actors who people may not know that well or may have seen only a couple things that have gone on Netflix or whatever, but this is an incredible amount of talent that they have put into this cast for the film of the fa- for the family in the film. I- and George Lopez, who is very funny, of course, and people know him the John, most. But John, George, they ca- John, John, they cast a lot of really good Latino actors. And George Lopez. Well, because Lopez isn't known for him that kind of royalty <laughs> does sitcoms. You know, George is stand-up. But I'll tell you this, George has some really good scenes in this movie. Like there are two emotional scenes in this movie. And I'm like, this 
fucker needs to do more of this shit. So I think that's also great. But Zolo Maradueña is who really, you're just like, you were, I remember that kid in Cobra Kai. He is a man now. And everything about him radiates man in this movie. And for anybody who has a crush on Zolo Maradueña, uh, no matter what your affiliation is, you are going to be having an even bigger crush on this guy by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, definitely you, Michael, for sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, I've seen some of the criticisms. Oh, it's kind of bland and this or that. Whatever, man. A majority of the critics love it and think it's a blast. And there are some people it doesn't work for, but whatever. Overall, I think it really does work. I'm looking forward to seeing what the box office is going to be because it started out with 3.3 million previews on thir- last night. So does that bode well? I don't know. Um, and it's I, 25 to 30 is what the prediction was, but I'd love it to surprise like Barbie and Oppenheimer did. But we'll see. I don't, you know, I here's my prediction. And yeah, uh, assuming, assuming that it's good, assuming that it is the 94% audience rating holds and that we come out of this and go yeah johnny was right this was a lot of fun i don't think that there's a ton of excitement to drive it into a massive opening weekend but if it is if it is the movie that everybody is saying that it is Mm. i think that there's going to be some really nice word of mouth and everyone's going to be like look i know that flash was garbage i know that dc is a mess but like this one is really cute you got to go see it it might have more of that elemental kind of vibe that'll sort of ride out the summer into september uh, and actually just be like a nice, quiet sleeper hit if uh, if it is indeed as good as everybody is saying it is, which I hope it is. Yeah, and I've seen some people comment, like I've seen a couple of people like, oh, look at these pictures of the IMAX theater. They had to move Oppenheimer. They were forced to put Blue Beetle in it. You know what? You got to look at things in a bigger perspective in that this is a first Latino-led superhero film. Let's see what he can do in these situations. And I'm sorry we got to move out the film about the white guy that killed hundreds of thousands of people. Let's make a little space for also this movie, too, so we can balance out the world a little bit. By the way, I love that movie about the white guy that killed 100,000 people. I was about to say. I also think. Your tune really changed fast on that one, John. I I like the movie. (laughs) I'm also like, you know what? But let's create a little space and see what Blue Beetle could do. It's not a fucking big deal. You know, so I just think you got to let things breathe for a little bit. Let him have a shot and see what happens. So I'm hoping. I'm hoping. We'll see. Uh, Anyway, let's move on to our next thing. Uh, What do we got here, Mike? You got something for us? I do. Uh, Hasbro Studio or Hasbro, the toy company that uh, we all know and love and have a lot of feelings about, uh, <laughs> announced <laughs> announced this week that they were starting a new entertainment division, Hasbro Entertainment. Uh, the newly appointed leadership team of Hasbro Ent- Entertainment uh, will be dedicated to leveraging the toy and entertainment company's IP to develop product and produce content across platforms for audiences of all ages uh, following the close of Hasbro's sale of E1. Um, the new division will have Olivier Dumont as president of Hasbro Entertainment with Zev Foreman and uh, Gabriel Morano serving as head of film and head of television, respectively. Um all of them were working at E1 when E1 was owned by Hasbro. So they are just sort of carrying on what they were doing, even though E1 has been sold. And Hasbro will now have an entire division dedicated to making uh, IP uh, around all of their, or making uh, entertainment around their IP. Cool. I don't know how this is any different from what they've been doing for the past 15, 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, For anyone, I mean, like, it's just funny. It's one of those really funny things where, in the wake of Mattel having Barbie, I guess Hasbro felt they wanted to have some news, but it's just a very funny thing in that I was talking to some friends of mine who 
also worked at Hasbro Studios. Okay. Uh, well, I talked to some writers, talked to some directors, talked to some artists, and we're all just finding this announcement kind of funny, given that in 2009, yes. Hasbro announced Hasbro Studios, which I'm going to just read the exact same quote from the Hasbro Entertainment announcement because I think it works. <laughs> so in 2009, Hasbro announced a newly appointed team called Hasbro Studios, a division that would be dedicated to leveraging the toy and entertainment company's IP to develop and produce content across platforms of all ages. The only difference is we were producing content for the hub at the time, but then Hasbro decided they didn't want the hub anymore and Hasbro right. Studios was going to produce content for everybody. And then they decided they didn't want Hasbro Studios anymore, so they bought E1. But then they decided they didn't want E1 anymore, so they sold E1, but kept everybody who was working for E1 and said, we're going to do Hasbro Entertainment. So as far as I can tell, this announcement is Hasbro's going to keep doing what they've been doing since uh, the early 2000s. <laughs> so good for you, Hasbro. And I do think it is – I mean, it is very telling. We were just talking about um, you know, Blue Beetle, and we are talking about the whole mm. DC versus Marvel, which you know has been going on – since comics started i mean it's always which artist is you know oh jack kirby's at marvel nope jack kirby's doing new gods at dc jim lee's here jim lee's there oh we did crisis on infinite earths well we did you know uh secret wars like we it's always like who's gonna one up the other and i think you know with hasbro and mattel for the past several years, even though not all the content has been great, I think Hasbro has been more successful than Mattel has yeah. at getting their content out there. So whether that be the Michael Bay Transformers movies, which John, you know, has a soft spot for, or My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, which I happen to have a soft spot for, yes. uh, or any of the other content that they've done, Hasbro's done more movies, more TV shows, they had The Hub, they had a lot more going on, and Mattel had, you know some Hot Wheels movies, some Barbie stuff, but didn't have the big thing. And I think it's very telling that, you know, Barbie comes out is a billion plus dollar movie right. uh, that is just entrenched within the cultural zeitgeist. And so Hasbro's like, hey, we should probably tell everybody we're still doing stuff, <laughs> which is kind of what I think this announcement is. But I'm a jaded ex-Hasbro employee. What do you guys think about it? Shannon? Um, yeah, it, it was interesting because the three of us yeah. worked on a project that Vogel and I wrote on and John got to voice that oh, yeah, yeah. was right. was under the previous, previous regime that may never see, seems like it's not going to see the light of day. And I was pitching on another thing at Hasbro right when the E1 announcement was made. It was sort of like, okay, now, you know, whatever was happening before, now E1's taken over. Everybody seems excited about it. And now it's like, okay, we don't want this truck, but we want the driver from the truck. To, to <laughs> stay. It, like, it's such a, it's such a weird thing. Um, and, and it, again, it's sort of like, is this for the shareholders? Is this for the public to remind them that the company exists? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if this produces some, some good entertainment, fantastic. If it's yeah. just sort of a, Hey, we're over a, a, Hey, we're over here too" announcement. Okay. I mean, yeah. we'll see. It, it, it does feel that way, doesn't it? Like, it's like, oh, remember us? Uh, I know that Nintendo has <laughs> made a billion dollars. Barbie is making a billion dollars and more uh, with Barbie. But, hey, we've got all this stuff. Even though Dungeons & Dragons, <laughs> Honor Among Thieves, well-reviewed, well-received, underperformed at the box office, uh, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, not that well-received overall critically, did okay at the box office. So you start to add these other projects. I will say this, though. You start to look at these other projects, you're like, well, what are they going to do with this? Like, are you do a live-action Nerf 
film. I don't know what you can do with that, but. Well, I can tell you because we developed a ton of Nerf stuff back uh, when I was at Hasbro, and it was wild. I will say, (laughs) part of the funny thing is, I'm going to write a book one day, but part of what you do when you are a Hasbro executive is you meet with all the different teams, and all of them want content. So you sit with the Nerf team, and you're like, guys, it's Nerf is just it's a blaster so what it and they're oh no we like it's gonna be like halo but with this and we're gonna do this thing like you like that you sit basically your job is to sit in a room and go okay well if we were going to make a hungry hippos animated feature what would that be if we are going to do a nerf movie what even would that be? And look, right. for years, Mattel tried to figure out what a Barbie movie would be. And there'd be a ton of people that'd be like, there's no way you can make a Barbie movie. It'll be stupid. And they figured it out. So yeah, that's the job. Yeah, are they going to do it? You know, I think Hasbro has been trying to do it for a long time. So we'll see. Yeah, you got to find the right people, man. I mean, at the end of the day, right? You have the right people in charge uh, executive wise and you got to find the right talent because Magic the Gathering is huge. That is a massive thing i mean there are podcasts there are shows there are conventions for magic the gathering stuff people are take that shit very seriously so that is untapped potential as an ip but you look at peppa pig that is massive so i'm sure they can go a number of directions with peppa pig but the one thing that occurred to me yesterday when i was having this conversation with jeff on the hot mic is my little pony and i said this because of you michael and i was like you know my little pony now is a much more updated topical approach to what is going on in the world, although, and it's still honoring the mythology from the show we knew way back when, but making it much more updated. You could possibly do a full live action My Little Pony film like Barbie that's also a subtle commentary on what's going on in the world or tackling a social issue. And I think there's a real chance to announce yourselves as a content creator if you can find a way to unlock that and bring My Little Pony out into a more modern, updated approach. I just wonder if there's, I feel like there's possibilities here, Michael. Well, I think you just nailed what Barbie, what Mattel kind of stumbled onto with Mm. Barbie, uh, with Greta Gerwig, that I think that the lesson is getting like lost in the amount of money that Barbie's made. You know, Mattel is over here being like, hey, we're going to start the Mattel-iverse. And Hasbro's like, well, then we're going to start the Hasbro-verse. And everyone's like, we got to get the toys. People want to see the toys. And that's not really what it is. Like, yes, people love these toys. People have an affinity with these toys. We all grew up with G.I. Joe and Transformers and Barbie. But Barbie used Barbie to talk about something else. To mm-hmm. talk about uh, gender roles, to talk about the patriarchy, the Lego Movie, which also falls into this category, right. was like let's let's talk a movie, let's let's have a movie that says there isn't a chosen one. Everybody is special. Let's really talk about the magic of building your own universe. Um, and Transformers has lost that in the movies. Mm. And My Little Pony, you know, thank you. I think that we tried to you know tell stories that were beyond what you would typically tell in a story about pastel yeah. colored ponies with uh, rainbows on their butt. But like we were trying to tell bigger stories about friendship and racism and different things within that world. And I think that when you do that, when you look at the brand and say, well, what can we talk about here? What are the bigger ideas? Uh, it's I I look at it as almost like. Um, it's it's like a secret weapon. It's like a Trojan horse, not pony 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 pun notwithstanding. It's like a Trojan pony. It's like use these brands that everybody loves, where you can tell a four quadrant family film, but talk about some of these ideas. Like you know, we talk about this on the show all the time. There's lots of movies that come out and talk about 
feminism and gender yeah. roles yeah, and the yeah, patriarchy yeah. and they bomb and everybody gets mad and said, why is this movie so woke and preachy? But Barbie did the exact same thing, yep. but they hit it within a pink, ridiculous, over the top, hilarious Barbie movie and you got to do it. So if Hasbro is going to continue with their brand new entertainment division, um, I hope the lesson that they take from Barbie is what you're saying, which is let's actually talk about some stuff. Yeah, Randall Park said it, right? He tweeted it out. He said, I see all these people talking about Barbie and the studios wanting to learn the lesson. And they're like, yeah, let's make more movies about toys. And actually, that's not the lesson. Let's make movies about women and by women. That's the lesson. Yeah. And so, you know, there's something to be said for that. If, if uh, Especially on My Little Pony, that seems right for a Greta Gerwig type of interpretation for sure down the road. So we'll see. Um, all right. Anyway, any, any final words on this, Shannon? Shall we move on? Nerf. <laughs> all right well let's take a quick break and then we'll jump into shannon's uh display of trailers uh, right after this hello geek buddies fans before we jump into today's episode let's give a warm thank you to our sponsor marquee tv their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you marquee tv isn't just any streaming service they're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture that's right johnny i've explored marquee tv and i've been amazed by their vast library of performances exclusive interviews and behind the scenes content it is a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover right now i'm in the middle of watching the royal shakespeare company's production of the Tempest, and I've also got my eye on that Shakespeare masterclass taught by Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, Shannon, and speaking of the RSC, I watched Christopher Eccleston's performance of Macbeth last night, and I'm going to jump into Kit Harington's performance of Henry V from the Donmar Warehouse. Imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertip. That's the experience Marquee TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents that's right three months for only 99 cents with the code buddies b-u-d-d-i-e-s simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code buddies to dive into the world of arts like never before bring the arts home with marquee tv get three months for just 99 cents visit marquee.tv to start your journey into the world of arts now use code buddies explore the extensive library of performances on marquee tv today and keep up with the latest in art streaming by following at marquee tv on social media that's good i like that i remember those days uh mr mcclung we have trailers take it away trailers 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 our first one is actually a movie that comes out today and it is called landscape with invisible hands so this is another smaller movie was at sundance and these are the types of movies that I love to see hit theaters. It's also the type of movie that if people don't go see it, it will be on a streaming service in about a month. Yeah. Um, but it yes. is about an occupying alien species who comes to Earth and sort of makes a human workforce inessential. And, but the thing that they don't have that they're fascinated by is the human concept of romantic love. So it's about two teenagers who decide to embark on a relationship and let the aliens be their viewers. Um, this, this is based on a book. I believe the author is, I think it's M.T. Anderson. Yeah, that might not be right, but yeah. uh, Tiffany Haddish is uh, one of the leads, along with uh, Asante Black, who was from This Is Us, as well as Kylie Rogers, who plays young Beth on uh, Yellowstone. I thought this trailer, it's, I mean, the trailer has actually been out for a little bit, but they had just released a new one uh, leading up to its release. 
And again, this looks like like just a very, very fun, high concept film that potentially has a ton of heart. So I'll throw it over to you, gentlemen. Johnny, why don't you go first? What did you think of uh, Landscape with Invisible Hand? Yeah, I'm with you. I like these kind of smaller films coming out and getting a little bit of a release to see if they can catch on uh, with people. And Corey Finley's an interesting director, uh, done a number of things recently that I kind of like, uh, like a couple episodes of We Crashed. I enjoyed Bad Education, which was that uh, Hugh Jackman film with Alice and Janney about what happened in the true story about what happened. I think it was in Jersey that I thought was really good. So this is an interesting approach or story um, uh, in terms of the idea of uh, aliens taking over when we just had all those hearings about aliens possibly already being here. And then the idea of um, watching a program and what happens when the people you care about in real life actually don't like each other anymore and the responsibilities they have of staying in the marriage or not, or staying in the union or not staying in the union uh, and what that could lead to. So there's a lot of um, really good emotional storytelling that to be mined here from what I've seen in the trailer and what I've read in the, in the plot and the synopsis, I don't know necessarily if it's the right cast overall that I'm not, especially with Tiffany Haddish. I don't know. I'm always on the fence with her in certain things and, and certain things not. And so just, but for me, I don't know this is a little weird um, but I, you know, I'm down to give it a shot at 75% right now on, on Rotten Tomatoes. So, uh, I'm, you know, I've got the regal thing. So I'm certainly, if it's showing down the street, I'll go and see it for free and see if it's any good or not for sure. I'm, at least I'm curious if nothing else. Mikey? This movie made me realize that my movie going habits have changed. <laughs> this trailer did. Because like, I, I'm with Shannon. Like, <clears throat> this is the type of movie that five or six years ago, I'd be like, oh, I'm absolutely going to go check that on like a Sunday early morning or like after, you know, in the afternoon during yeah. the week, I'm going to go check this out. And I watched this trailer. I think it's super inventive. I think it's a really cool idea. Uh, it It's a kind of quirky, fun sci-fi kind of take. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious to see where this movie goes and what it has to say about the human condition and romance. Mm-hmm. Like it checks all the boxes. Like this trailer is like, this is a great trailer for a small movie. And I was like, huh. That looks really good. I was like, maybe I'll see it or, you know, I mean, I'm sure like in a month I'll be able to like just rent it on Apple. <laughs> and I realized, and I realized as much as we all talk about going to the movies and loving, and I do, like Shannon and yeah. I went to go see Voyage of the Demeter the other night and Ooh. had a great time despite the fact that the movie wasn't great. Still had a lovely little geek date night. No. Um, so I, I, I'm going to, so I, it, it's so I had the reaction of like, huh. Yeah, this looks really cute. Maybe I'll check it out. Maybe I'll wait. And then I was like, "Ooh, who are you? What are you doing? And so I think I'm a little bit more invested in, all right, go see this next week. Don't be that guy. Go see, go to the movies. Don't be that guy. <laughs> and for all of you, don't be that guy. If it's playing at a theater near you, and it looks interesting. If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. And that's okay. But right. Landscape with an invis- with Invisible Hand comes out today. Our next film is one that actually co-stars a very good friend of ours, an actress named Sorry You Blue. Mm. And it is called A Million Miles Away. This one is starring Michael Pena. Uh, it follows Jose Hernandez, the first migrant farm worker to travel to space. And this trailer, I mean, again, I knew when Sorry You had, had worked on this uh, when she was you know, flying out of town to work on it. Uh, but uh, this trailer, I mean, I'm a big fan of the movie Rudy. I know John is not, Oof, but no. I'm like, oh, so this is Rudy with the space program. <laughs> uh, but 
and I say that in all the best ways. Uh, I think Michael Pena is such a is such a wonderful actor. He he, he has so much he puts so much vulnerability out there, uh, along with being incredibly funny, as as all of you know from the Ant Man films. Um, but yeah, I think this looks really, really um, potentially really good. It could also be very saccharine. Uh, but I'll throw it over to you, gentlemen. What did you think of our first look at A Million Miles Away? Mikey, why don't you take it away? Uh, yeah, sorry you had told me about this movie uh, when she booked it, went to go film it. I know that she had a great experience filming it, uh, thought it was a lot of fun, loved the role that she got to play, and it looks solid to me. I mean, like, I really like Michael Pena, and I think, you know, as we talk about representation in film, uh, I think this is a good story to tell. It looks like uh, a really, to your point, it looks like a really fun, uplifting, cool story. I love space. I love the space program. <laughs> I love seeing uh, different types of stories told. Uh, this is absolutely one. I mean, obviously, because we're going to support our friend, I was going to watch it regardless. But watching the trailer, I was like, oh, the, the other thing that happens for you that don't for you all that don't live in Hollywood is that you have a lot of friends who are writers or directors or actors or actresses. And they're like, hey, I got this thing. I'm on this TV show. I booked this thing. And sometimes you're like, I'm going to watch this to support my friend. But like, oof. <laughs> Oof. I don't want to watch it. Oh man, that was rough. That was rough. Uh and this is one that I don't have to say that about because I genuinely like the trailer and think it looks like it's going to be a blast. So I get to support a friend, enjoy a movie and uh and I can do it all from the comfort of my couch. Johnny, what do you think? Yeah, this is um this is one, you know, when you run a channel sometimes, you look at a film and you go, oh, "I don't know if people are going to watch it." And then you go, "I'm not going to do a trailer reaction." And then you regret it immediately after you watch the trailer because you go, son of a bitch. This is actually really interesting. I'd never heard of this story before of this gentleman based on a true story. And watching it, I'm like, man, there's so much here for a Latino to absolutely embrace here and celebrate and support. So, like, I've just felt stupid afterwards. Like, I should have done a reaction just to give it my own push for it even if only 500 people watch that reaction it would have been worth it to put it up but it came out at the same time uh as another trailer dropped oh maestro dropped in the same day so i was like oh i'll go with that because everyone's been talking about that one but you know these are the mistakes you make in life sometimes but overall i love that this is this feels like october sky mixed with rudy and this feeling of like uh, a person you don't expect from a situation you don't expect to somehow end up in a situation like this and be sent up into space and the cultural ramifications of that. I mean, I don't want to get emotional, but the, the shot of him looking as a kid, remembering the dirt on his hands and then looking at his hands again in the spacesuit because of how far he's come and how he's persevered and how he's every time they told him, no, he kept fighting for it. He kept asking for it. He kept, but you know, that's the way we have to be sometimes in this country, in this world, really uh, Latinos. We have to bang on that door so fucking loud till they let us in and we have to keep banging and keep banging and keep banging and endure all the uh, criticisms and all the attacks on us so that we can finally get through the door because we belong at the party. We belong at the table. And so to see this coming through in this film, and it has, yeah, it could be saccharine, Shannon, you're right. It could go for the easy beats, but something about this feels like it's got a little more to say than something you, like you might see on a Lifetime channel or something. So I like that it's got this vibe, and why not? Why not? We've seen plenty of white stories like this and black stories like this. Let's have some Latino stories like this, whether it succeeds or not. I don't care. Well, I do care, but I don't, I, I'm happy it exists is what I'm trying yeah. to say. So the trailer feels fantastic. And yes, our friend, sorry, you blue being in it 
is great as well. But I want to say this. Uh, Michael Pena, keep keep doing your thing, man. Keep doing your thing. Keep knocking it out of the park, son. Uh, I, I love seeing his, the different things he does as an actor, Shannon, as you pointed out. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, because uh, I actually was one of the folks that thought Quantumania was okay. Uh, but one of the giant mistakes is like, how, how why did you not include yeah, Luis yeah. in this? What yeah, a man. cataclysmic mistake. Um, man, but Speaking of, you can always check him out in My Little Pony, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Does a great job as Grubber in My Little Pony, the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, so... A Million Miles Away will be streaming on Amazon Prime September 15th, but it also is getting a, a limited theatrical release as well, September 8th. So if mm. this, is a, this is a thing that uh, uh, scratches where you itch, uh, see if it's playing a year and maybe hop over to a theater. That's oh, right. yeah. Scratch where you itch. I said it. And then, and then get some cream. <laughs> and then get some cream for that itch. <laughs> Our next film is another smaller movie. This trailer just came out today, I believe, and it was called. it's called She Came to Me. Really, really funny cast. Peter Dinklage, Marissa Tomei, Anne Hathaway. Um, about a, uh, a composer uh, with writer's block who finds an unexpected muse in a tugboat captain played by Marissa Tomei. Uh, again, this is another one of those movies that will probably be out on streaming in about six weeks um, uh, after its release. But I thought this trailer was, was great. I mean, it just a kind of off-kilter... Off, uh, off romantic comedy peter dinklage you know is is it's basically what happens if bolivar trask catwoman and aunt may are in a are in a love triangle <laughs> wow wow I, I like how this really isn't a geeky trailer at all but shannon was like i'm gonna make it work <laughs> so i'll throw this over to you gentlemen what did you think of our first look my guess is only look before it's released at she came to me johnny why don't you take it away you know when you seed the trailer park, uh, when you say that Shannon is the owner of the trailer park, you kind of have to accept the trailers as they come. And I wasn't sure on this one because um, <laughs> it was like I saw this the other day as a clip that came up on YouTube. And I was like, I have no interest in watching this trailer. And but Shannon's like, we're going to put it on the show. I'm like, all right, I'll take a look at this. Uh, and I have to say, I came away delightfully impressed by this trailer. I love Dinklage. Dinklage is such a goddamn good actor. Um, so to see him in a role like this is interesting and new and fun. It gave me vibes of the Julie Louis Dreyfus one. I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings from a few weeks, a few weeks or a few months ago that I really enjoyed. One of these kind of smaller slice of life films that's making a commentary about relationships. And these films are so necessary to still, still exist in our theaters for us to go see and have some fun with. And I liked it a lot. I'm not the biggest Anne Hathaway person, but the interactions she's having with Dinklage are really good in the trailer. And Marissa Tomei. I mean, you can never go wrong with Marissa Tomei and to see what he's creating. So there's a nice fun tongue in cheek combined with that artistic uh, approach, but also a strong commentary about clearly a relationship that seems like a relationship convenience. And there are cracks because people are coming into their lives and exposing the cracks that are that have been there for a while in that relationship. So looks very, very interesting. Was not going to go see it at all, but after seeing the trailer, I'm in now, I guess. Mikey? You know, I 
in the age of like IP driven uh, entertainment that we live in, sometimes we miss out on like what we got to have growing up, which was sometimes a movie came out and it was just watching movie stars be movie stars. And this made me think of that. Like this, I am a big Anne Hathaway fan and a Marissa Tomei fan and a Peter Dinklage fan. And all three of them in this trailer are just playing for the rafters. I mean, it, you're, you're watching all three of them with yeah. roles that you're like, you get to just go for it. Uh, you know, it also, it gave me oddly, uh, fish called Wanda vibes in a oh, weird way. Okay. And, and just in that, like I was watching this very like slice of life thing with just actors, like just going wacky. I mean, Peter Dinklage playing this, like, uh, you know, writer of operas that is having writer's block and is just like dramatically over the top. And then Anne Hathaway being this kind of very cold, matter of fact therapist. And then Marissa Tomei being like the tugboat seductress, which is <laughs> not a phrase that I ever thought that I would uh, say. Um, and it just, even within the trailer, it just starts off. You're like, okay, so this is what this is. Mm. Oh, oh, no. Okay. This is, Oh, okay. Oh, okay. This is wild. Uh, so you know whether the movie's good or not remains to be seen. But the trailer's great, and it really made me want to check it out. Like I just thoroughly enjoy all three of them, and watching a movie where all three of them look like they get to just be as over the top ridiculous as possible sounds like a good time to me. Yeah. Well, she came to me comes out September 29th. And again, if you don't go see it in a theater, you should try to try to see it in a theater, support these smaller films. It will probably be on streaming before the end of the year. Um, and our last trailer, our tiny little trailer is the uh, announcement teaser for, uh, or not even announcement teaser, the first teaser for Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Mm. This is the new series from Disney+. Plus. Um, a lot of you probably remember the first at-bat for this when Chris Columbus directed Logan Lerman in the title role. So this is quick. I mean, there's not there's not a ton here, but just sort of uh, acknowledging the project's existence. Um, for those of you that are not familiar with the property, it comes from writer Rick Riordan. Um, if you like Harry Potter... It's that, but instead of witches and wizards, witches and wizards, it's Greek gods. Um, you know, I, I read the first two books and they were really, really good. The movies didn't quite get there, mm. um, but uh, Rick Riordan has been very active on social media talking about how how thrilled he is that this property is getting a second chance. So, gentlemen, what did you think of that first look at Percy Jackson and the Olympians? Mikey, take it away. I, you know, it, to your point, it's 30 seconds long. It doesn't show a ton, but I think it does two things that are really good. One, although we said this before the show started and Shannon doesn't fully agree with me, uh, I think it looks like from an effects level, just kind of what we're seeing, it looks better shot with some higher level effects than some of the other stuff that Disney Plus has done that is not Marvel or Star Wars. So it looks like this is being treated as kind of a more of a marquee property for them than some of their other things, which I think is good. And if you are a fan of the books, it just kind of has a vibe to it that looks like it does get it more right than the movies did. Like, I think this is a great franchise. Like, if you love Greek mythology, and to Shannon's point, if you love that sort of Harry Potter vibe, these books are a lot of fun. The way they kind of take all the Greek gods and the creatures of Greek mythology and weave them into this, like, modern-day story, it was really inventive. It was really fun. And the movies never fully got there. So I think if in series Disney plus can land this, it's a, it would be great for Disney plus to have something on this level that was really good, really well done, really well received that wasn't in the Marvel box or the star Wars box. So I'm excited about it. 
playing devil's advocate, some of the other stuff that Disney Plus has done in their original programming that's not Star Wars or Marvel, and some of the stuff that is, uh, has not been as impressive. So we will see, but I am, uh, much like Blue Beetle, cautiously optimistic. Johnny? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I got Willow vibes, but for better or worse. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. That's all I'll say. We'll see. I hold hold judgment. I, I don't have the connection of the property you have uh shannon and i never saw any of the movies just heard that they had bad reviews uh, but uh, look i love edge as a wrestler and i think adam copeland is a good actor not a great actor so seeing him walking with the sword i'm like this could either be terrible or damn good so this is the only feeling i have when i watch an opening like that so but look I, the kids look cool it looks like there's a production budget for this so i will hold out my thoughts on it until y'all I'm remember still. when we were excited for willow those were good times. <laughs> back in, remember back in the day before Willow came out? Oh. Well, the Rock thinks it was about a, a, an issue with the uh, changing in leadership at Disney, which is why Willow didn't do well. Uh, anyway, um, any other trailers, Shannon? Is that it? That's it. What? This one comes out December 20th. It was supposed to come out 2024, and that is it. I have nothing else to say. You know what? <laughs> it's, my, it's my section, John. Well, I've driven up. And I've got this thing attached to the back of my car. And I'm putting it in this park. Maestro trailer came out earlier this week. I'm surprised it didn't make a cut. But um, there was controversy around it. And I'm sure it's been talked to death already. But we got to get commentary from our resident Jewish member of the Geek Buddies. Michael checks a lot of boxes out for uh, off for us. So, Michael, uh, your thoughts on the quote unquote Jew face controversy, mm. the idea of the prosthetic nose. We've seen people defend it. We we've seen people against it. And the leader uh, or the person who has been kind of the most vocal about the Jew face controversy over the last few years, Sarah Silverman, is in the movie as uh, Bernstein's sister. So your thoughts on this as we see a lot of people getting upset about it online. I Okay, so yeah, just in case you aren't fully up to speed, Maestro coming out, directed, starred, written, directed, and starred, or just directed and starred by Bradley Cooper? Uh, Directing, starring, and co-writing Bradley Cooper. Co-writing. Bradley Cooper, playing Leonard Bernstein, a great American composer, and who was Jewish, and uh, made the choice to wear a prosthetic nose to make him look more like Leonard Bernstein, um, and has been accused of the nose being too big, the nose being Jew face. I, I... just feel like we are i personally i can't speak for everybody so i want to be really clear on that i personally feel like this is sort of one of those non-issues like there are bigger fish to fry in the world there are big issues that we struggle with as a culture there are big things that we struggle with uh in the way that we accept each other for our differences and bradley cooper making a movie about leonard bernstein with the full blessing of Leonard Bernstein's family, with Leonard Bernstein's children coming out and saying, we had no issue with this. We think this is a great film. We think our father would have been super okay with this. I don't know why we're fighting about it. Uh, and, you know, and, and as far as people saying, well, Bradley Cooper shouldn't be playing, you know, like we, I've dealt with this, like we, we deal with this even in voiceover. You deal with a lot of like making sure you're casting th- people correctly and this, that, and the other thing. And there's certain things uh a person of color uh a trans actor or a trans actress like you really want to cast someone who has that authentic experience but there are other areas where i don't know that 
look, Bradley Cooper wanted to tell this story. He was passionate about it. Leonard Bernstein's been around for a long time. Like there's been ample opportunity for other people to step up and tell this story. But Bradley Cooper wanted to tell this story. He went to the family. He said, I would like to tell this story. The family said, we are in full support of this. Like at, at no point did I feel like anything, anyone did anything insensitive or incorrect. So maybe I'm completely missing something on this, but I just think that at the end, and, and even with the controversy around the nose, I mean, if you really break it down, the issue with the stereotype of the hooked nose is that a very, like back in the day, people used the fact that some Jewish people had larger noses to try and make them out to be evil, to make them out to be witches, to make them out to be like all of these things that were horrible. And the noses were overly large and hooked and huge and made the, you know, caricatures that made Jews look ugly. Bradley Cooper doesn't look ugly with that nose. Yeah. Like, it's not yeah. like he came out and said, look, I am like, it's, it's not like Bradley Cooper all of a sudden was playing Shylock in Merchant of Venice and came out in the most hideous makeup possible. Like he looks more like Leonard Bernstein. So to me, although I am completely aware of the fact that there might be things that I even growing up as a Jewish person am missing in this and would be happy for people to educate me on, um, to me, it's just like, this is not something that is worth fighting about when there are so many other bigger things for us to fight about when it comes to acceptance and representation and all of the things that we need to talk about. This is like, guys, come on, let's move on. Fair enough. Shannon, any thoughts on this? Well, I mean, I did, I do think it's interesting that Sarah Silverman is playing his sister and she was a very vocal critic of yeah. Catherine Hahn playing Joan Rivers when that oh, movie right. was going yes. to happen. So it's one of those situations of, what was Sarah Silverman's issue with this, but not with this. Um, and again, m maybe there is a legit story there that, you know, we just don't right, know. Cooper is not Jewish, right? Good point. Yes, no, yes, correct. Yes, yes, no, yes. he is, he is very much a, very much a Gentile. He's a Gentile. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, Bradley Cooper, I, you know, I think he was trying, he's trying to make himself look visually as much like Leonard Bernstein as he can. And part of that was, wearing wearing a prosthetic was the is the prosthetic too big looking at the side-by-side -side comparison yeah you can make that argument um but i don't think it's being done to uh it, it's not being done to to offend like i think they're he's trying to do this as authentically as possible um but yeah we'll see again not being not being a jewish person i i this is like i, I want to listen versus making a judgment call and and just not for nothing. I mean, you know, we didn't talk about the trailer because Shannon chose not to include it. But I know. Um, damn right. Damn right. But, the damn Gentile. But, yes, go ahead. Yes. The, 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 the large <laughs> nose is literally overshadowing uh, what is actually a really nice looking trailer. And yeah. like, you know, yeah. Bradley Cooper, as 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 hot as balls as the man is, has really proven that he's quite the he's quite the artist behind the camera as well and i think oh. that given some of the stuff he's done and just looking at this trailer like i'm genuinely excited to see this movie so i hope that this controversy doesn't actually overshadow the fact that like this looks good yeah my complaint is more that carrie mulligan is lily white and uh his wife was half latina uh full half uh, i mean like from a family of latina so that's more of a controversy to me than then the prosthetic, I think the prosthetic is trying to look like Leonard Bernstein, uh, Bernstein rather, and it is not, as Michael said, it is not alluding to what had been the stereotype of what that um, of those ugly, terrible, horrible stereotypes of the of Jewish noses that we've seen in, in entertainment in the past. 
And so I think that's a different approach. But of course, as Michael said and Shannon said, you create space for people to be offended. You're allowed to be offended, of course. It's just our two cents on, on the whole situation. Yes, and I thought the trail looks great. The way they treated that 1970s or late 60s film shooting, I was like, oh my God, this looks just like something you would watch from that yeah. company documentary, the Sondheim company documentary. This is genius, the way they're doing this. I mean, I was watching Yes Man the other day because that's one of my quietly favorite Jim Carrey gems. And I'm like, this guy? This guy is an Oscar winner fucking, or Oscar nominated guy? This guy's making Maestro? This guy? And so it's just incredible to see. Uh, uh, you never know where it's coming from and you never know where it's going to uh, lead with some actors for sure. Um, all right. Anyway, let's, uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll jump into our main topic here, getting into the world of Ahsoka. And um, I hesitate to say this, but Jedi Master Michael Vogel is going to lead us through this. So we'll be right back right after this. Dueling, dueling Star Wars. All right, Shannon wins. Listen, man, I'm excited. Listen, Take I it, Take I it. recognize the fact that I am geeky about a lot of things, but I have accepted the fact uh, that when it comes to being geeky, hello, Star Wars might be the crowning uh, the crowning gem in my geek crown. Um, and given the reaction so far to mm. people who have seen the first two episodes of Ahsoka, uh, uh my excitement is just growing. Yeah. Um, that being said, we recognize the fact, uh, that as geeky as all of you are who listen to the show, um, for many people, when it comes to Star Wars, people have checked out all the live action stuff. And although they are aware of some of the animation, they don't know the details of everything. They haven't, uh, just dived in to watch... Clone Wars and Rebels, and from every indication that we've heard, uh, and Johnny would know better than we do, having mm. seen it, this this show very much is a continuation in live action of a lot of what happened in Rebels, that it definitely has that vibe to it. So, as best as I can, I am now going to uh, give you a Cliff's Notes version. Oh! Of the history oh, of, the history of Ahsoka Tano, we're going to touch on a little bit of Grand Admiral Thrawn and give you exactly what you need to know about some of these Rebels characters in as quickly a way as possible. And uh, and my two uh, my two Padawan learners here next to me oh. are going to uh, going to fill in the gaps that I miss and ask any questions that they have as well. So, first of all, Ahsoka Tano, created by Dave Filoni and the Star Wars Clone Wars team, um, voiced by Ashley Eckstein, Ashley, Ashley Eckstein to be Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. Uh, if you watch some of the behind-the-scenes footage that's coming out right now uh, on Ahsoka, David Filoni actually says, you know, in the original sketches, this tiny little Jedi uh, Togruta Padawan was drawn with Jedi Master Plo Koon, and they were going to make them kind of the main characters of Clone Wars until George Lucas came along and said... That's Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. And Dave Filoni said, well, Anakin Skywalker never had a Padawan. And George Lucas just dead-eyed him and said, it's Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. And when George Lucas tells you, you go, okay. Uh, and although, although George Lucas gave the full approval of this, when the Clone Wars movie first came out, uh, and the world was introduced to a 14-year-old Padawan for Anakin Skywalker, um, they were not thrilled. Ahsoka Tano, not well-loved when she first appeared in the Clone Wars movie. And if we're all being honest, as much as we all love Ahsoka Tano, 
a little bit annoying in those first few seasons of uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars. But then throughout Clone Wars, Dave Filoni did something very smart that J.J. Abrams maybe could have taken a lesson from with Rey in uh, Force Awakens. And what that smart thing was is Ahsoka Tano failed a lot. Mm. Ahsoka Tano was not some perfect Padawan. Uh, And Anakin Skywalker, not the perfect Jedi Master. Like, this was a team of people that both were a little bit imperfect in what they were doing. In fact, uh, if you want a really good, like, quick synopsis without diving into all of Clone Wars, um, you can check out the Tales of the Jedi episode, Practice Makes Perfect, which shows uh, both Ahsoka and Anakin in the very early days where Anakin is not very invested in being Ahsoka's master. And even though Ahsoka is just killing it at her Jedi training, um, he doesn't think it's enough. And it's not until he takes her and uh, gives her training on the Anakin Skywalker level that he really starts to respect her and that she really turns into uh, quite the Jedi. Um, so throughout Clone Wars, they slowly develop Ahsoka over time. She fails, she learns. Um, one of the most important things I think that gets overlooked a lot is that Ahsoka Tano also forms a very close friendship with everybody's favorite astromech, R2-D2. Uh, I would actually say that Ahsoka Tano has the closest relationship to R2-D2 of anybody aside from Luke Skywalker. Hmm. And I think that's just one of several comparisons as you look at the growth of Ahsoka Tano that I would say that she stands right next to Luke Skywalker as being one of the most important characters in Star Wars that's tied to most of the same people that he is and has a similar relationship. Hmm. Um so really quickly, I want these guys to weigh in on their thoughts on the on the Clone Wars level of Ahsoka, but just touching on a few things really quickly within the Clone Wars series. I mean, it's seven seasons, so there's a lot to do. But, uh, you know, she, Anakin, Obi-Wan Kenobi, all over the galaxy during the Clone Wars, fighting the Separatists. Uh, they go to Ryloth, the planet of the Twi'leks, fighting with Cham Syndulla, who is the uh, Twi'lek freedom fighter, who is very important because he is the father of Hera Syndulla, who we will get to in a second for Rebels. Uh, they go to Mandalore, where we meet Duchess Satine Kreese, who has turned Mandalore into a planet of pacifists, which really pisses off her sister Bo-Katan Kreese, who is working with Death Watch, uh, a le- the leader of which has this little sword called the Darksaber. Mm. Um, so throughout the seasons, we start to see how Ahsoka meets all of these people on her journeys with Anakin and Obi-Wan that end up being really important to the bigger world of Star Wars. Um, there's a really weird arc that comes, but before we get to that, gentlemen, what do you think? I know that you've watched some of Clone Wars, you know a good bit about Ahsoka, but what do you think uh, about Ahsoka in these early days? Like, what do you think was not working about her? What do you think was working about her? And why do you think she's slowly developed into the character that we're all so excited about today? It's a good question. I mean, I think, I, you know, because I didn't come to Ahsoka as it was happening. I came to Ahsoka later. And I heard people's grumblings about her before I started watching content about her. So my mind was more like, well, let's see if I agree, as opposed to kind of seeing it free with no opinion and letting it wash over me. I was just like, well, let's see. And I never found her to be as irritating as other people did um, because she's 14. And that's a 14 year old does that regardless of gender or how they identify a 14 year old can be quite irritating because they think they know everything. They can't control their emotions. Uh, And they're not ready to take on extra stuff. And when you look at the stories that they put Ahsoka through, there's a lot that she had to endure and overcome and deal with at a very young age, being a part of the rebellion. um, That was not easy for her. 
but she grew every single time. And I think that's the thing that really stands out to me is the smart character growth of Ahsoka Tano as Clone Wars went along into Rebels and then through Mandalorian and Boca Boba Fett and now into this series. We've seen her grow. Like, arguably, there's a lot of comparisons to her and Harley Quinn, two characters that were created after both franchises were very, very well established and immediately grabbed the attention. Ahsoka, a little more negatively, then eventually positively. Harley Quinn, positive right from the beginning. So, But you have their growth and their change and I've really enjoyed that. And you're right to bring up Ashley Eckstein. You know, so many people go like, well, Dave Filoni and George Lucas created her. Don't forget Ashley Eckstein. Yeah. Her work, her voiceover work helped the writers create and write certain things for her character, certain stories. They knew what she could do as a voiceover artist, and that inspired them to write even more stuff for her. And we see her play all this stuff leading all the way up to the point where she walks away from the Jedi Council. And I think she's an important thing for, and I, I don't want to say this in a way that's like, oh, you need the woman to help the man succeed. I'm not saying that. She humanizes um, Anakin in a lot of ways, but also very much is her own person, which is a tough tightrope to walk in entertainment for a female character. She gets to do her own thing. She gets to grow. She gets to learn. She gets to fail. All those things are important when you're seeing her journey through the Clone Wars. And when her walking away, I think it's such a powerful thing because it exposes the issues with the Jedi Council and it lets us have a little bit of understanding of why Anakin went that direction. It's not excusing it, but you certainly understand yet another brick in the foundation of why Anakin turned on the Jedi. So she's a, such an essential part um, of Star Wars here and arguably one of the favorite, maybe top five favorite characters currently in Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it was interesting because I was aware of her existence, but I didn't watch the animated Clone Wars for years. I mean, I was introduced to her through another Star Wars animated series. And oh, Rebels, the, yeah? yeah. Yeah, so the yeah. reveal of her chatting with other folks who were enjoying Rebels, who had who who, who did watch the Clone Wars, yeah. the reveal of her, like, I knew who she was. It didn't really mean that much to me. But listening to the reaction that other fans gave it, I was like, oh, okay, so this is like a big deal. Okay, great. Um, it was only when I went back and, and watched Clone Wars, and because... I was trying to, you know, burn through everything until season six or season seven, whichever one Disney Plus brought back. Mm. Um, I started at season three. So a lot of the fine tuning of the character at the beginning, I didn't see. Um, when I kind of hopped on board, she seemed pretty fully formed. Mm. Um, but what to, to what John already said, watching the maturation of this of this kid into this young woman was just one of the most interesting arcs to to take part in. And part of the advantage of watching it the way I did is there wasn't that gigantic break in between oh, yeah. the series right. and the last season. Right. So it was just kind of one big seamless story to me. And I think you, you think about the earlier episodes, or at least the earlier episodes in season three that I had watched, to the point that she returns to the clone troopers and they've all painted their helmets. Mm. I mean, that was just such a powerful moment and i think she really exemplifies why star wars has been able to live past the prequels um that some of these amazing characters that we're getting to know weren't introduced in movies they were introduced in animation on television 
And again, she is the biggest example of like, we already knew that Star Wars, we, we, we know that Star Wars is special. I mean, it's got its ups and its downs, like every story. Um, but she was really the example that this story can transcend movies, that it can live everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and to your point, and you guys mentioned some of this, I think that when you get into the later seasons of Clone Wars, there's really three major arcs mm. that I think are important to know about Ahsoka Tano before you watch the series. The first one is the weirdest one. It's called the Mortis arc. Mm. And it is where Ahsoka Tano, Obi-Wan Kenobi, R2-D2, and Anakin go to a weird planet called Mortis where they meet three super weird characters called the father, the brother, and the sister. Now, the father, brother, and sister represent... The light side of the force in the sister, the dark side of the force in the brother, and the balance of the force in the father. It gets trippy AF. <laughs> uh, and ultimately, Ahsoka Tano gets killed in this arc. Uh, Anakin is faced with his future as Darth Vader a little bit. He doesn't quite know what it means, and Ahsoka gets killed. And the sister, who represents the light side of the Force, sacrifices herself to save Ahsoka. And from this point forward, Ahsoka is very, very tied to the Force in a very spiritual way. She even has this owl named Morai that was the sisters that follows her around. You see Morai in Rebels. You see Morai in Mandalorian, I would be shocked if we didn't see Morai in the Ahsoka series. So that's a very weird but very specific arc to check out. And then as these two mentioned, the thing that I think she's most well known for in Clone Wars is the arc um, where she is accused, uh, yeah. of, accused of killing somebody who bombed the Jedi Temple and ultimately uh, leaves the Jedi. And so in this arc, uh, there's a bombing at the Jedi Temple uh, they find the person who they think did it. Ahsoka goes to question them. The person is force choked and killed with Ahsoka in the room, making it look like she did it. She is accused of killing this person to cover her tracks. Uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan obviously trust Ahsoka, but the rest of the Jedi, not really sure about it. And they ultimately kick her out of the Jedi Order. And she goes off to try and clear her name. Anakin goes off to try and clear her name. Um, it turns out at the end of the day that another young Padawan by the name of Barris Afi was the one who, kill, who, uh, who killed the person, um, basically because she said that the Jedi were being duped by the dark side and were fighting in a dishonorable war. So she wasn't wrong, but... She uh, maybe overshot her uh, overshot her plans a little bit. But ultimately, even though the Jedi's say, hey, Ahsoka, we're really sorry. Come back in. She makes the decision to walk away. And Anakin is really upset by this. They have this amazing talk and she leaves. And I will actually go so far as to say John sort of too excited, guys, too excited. Uh, John actually mentioned this, but I'll take it a step further. I think that Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order is one of the key reasons that Anakin turns to the dark side of the force. Hmm. I think that had not Ahsoka that she's not, to blame. not that she's to blame. No, not that she's to blame at all. But I right. think that had Ahsoka stayed with Anakin, yeah, yeah. Uh, she would have kept him from giving into the darker sides of his personality. I think she would have kept him on the straight and narrow, and we would have had a very different world. But she leaves the Jedi Order, and. For years, nobody thought us we were going to see Ahsoka Tano again. We thought this is how she avoided Order 66 and why she's not in Revenge of the Sith. But when Disney Plus uh, came out and announced they were doing a season seven of Clone Wars, we got sort of the grand finale of the Ahsoka Tano story where Bo-Katan hunts her down and says, I need you to help me. Darth Maul has taken over Mandalore. We got to get him off of here. They go to Mandalore with a bunch of clone troopers. Ahsoka Tano 
duels Darth Maul, defeats Darth Maul. Things are going great for her, but we are now butting right up against to Revenge of the Sith. These events are happening at the same time, and she senses Anakin turning to the dark side and then is on the ship when Order 66 is announced, fights her way out of a bunch of clone troopers, saves everybody's favorite clone trooper Rex, and ultimately buries all of the clones that attacked her and walks away from the Jedi Order forever. And if you watch the uh, Jedi, the Tales of the Jedi story, uh, I believe it is called Resolve. Yeah. We find out that after those events, she went to Padme Amidala's funeral, ran into Bail Organa. He said, hey, you want to help me? We're going to try and uh, start some rebellions. And she was like, not interested. Goes off and lives on her own for a while. Uh, ends up getting found out. Kills an Inquisitor. Goes to Bail Organa and says, I'm in. Uh, and this leads to what Shannon says, which is Star Wars Rebels, where we meet this whole cast of characters who are very important, uh, apparently, to the Ahsoka series. We meet young Jedi Ezra Bridger, uh, older Jedi Jesus, older Jedi, older Jedi. What, what are you doing with your hands right now? <laughs> My microphone is like uh, getting overly excited. I'm not even touching it. Just guys, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Get your force powers in check, pal. I know. Uh, we meet young Jedi Ezra Bridger, uh, Twilight pilot Harrison Dula, Astromech Chopper, uh, Kanan Jarrus, a Jedi in hiding whose master was killed in Order 66, and Sabine Wren, um, a Mandalorian who had been working for the Empire, went rogue and became a bounty hunter and ended up joining up with the Rebellion, and Zeb Aurelios, uh, an alien called a Lasat, who we all saw in Mandalorian Season 3. Zeb. Zeb. Uh, these guys are a little rebellion, uh, pocket. They are doing their own thing sort of on their own, but they are working for a mysterious character called Fulcrum, who is sort of organizing these different rebel cells. And ultimately Fulcrum is revealed to be Ahsoka Tano, who ends up working with the crew of the ghost, uh, working with Mon Mothma. We're seeing the beginnings of the rebellion. Ahsoka is in the middle of it, but when they are faced off against Darth Vader, it is the first time that Ahsoka uh, senses that her old Jedi Master might have gone down a bad road, and Darth Vader realizes that his former apprentice is alive. And this ultimately leads to uh, a, com a confrontation on a planet called Malachor, where Ahsoka Tano faces Darth Vader uh, in an epic and awesome confrontation, um, which we think that maybe she didn't survive, until the end of Star Wars Rebels, where we, where young Ezra Bridger finds a place called the World Between Worlds, um, which is a place where all of space and time intersect. It is another super trippy area um, where Ezra Bridger kind of pulls Ahsoka Tano out of her Darth Vader battle right before Darth Vader defeats her, saving her, putting her back on the map of Star Wars. Uh, and then in the big finale of Rebels, Ahsoka Tano shows up, meets Sabine Wren, and they head off to hunt down Ezra Bridger and Grand Admiral Thrawn, who disappeared at the end of Rebels. So that kind of leads you to everything you need to know about Ahsoka Tano leading up to this series. Johnny, you've seen the first two episodes of Ahsoka. Is there anything, uh, without getting into massive spoilers, which we will hit when we watch it next week, obviously, yeah. anything about Ahsoka that uh, we should know going in that doesn't quite cover what we already talked about i think uh oh it doesn't quite cover what we already talked about no i i think that's a good foundational piece uh uh stuff i and i would say if you don't want to go back and watch all the um clone wars episodes with soka and there are a lot by the way um or any of the rebels episodes i would say tales of the jedi episodes 
are enough to give you a foundation. The three episodes with her are enough to give you a good foundation of who Ahsoka Tano is from the beginnings with her mom to the, the training with uh, Anakin and the clones there. And then also, as you mentioned, resolve what there with Padme Adme's uh, Padme Amidala's funeral and what she encounters with the inquisitors on that farm. There's a there, that's enough of a foundation, but there are, I will say this, there are little allusions to things in rebels and into clone wars in those first two episodes that I think won't keep you from entertaining the show, enjoying the show, but might keep you from fully grasping what's going on uh, overall and the historical significance of what she's encountering in certain moments in the, in the first two episodes. So that's, that's as far as I'll say uh, about that and just throw in my uh, two cents and say, this is my kind of star Wars. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just a, a blast uh, to watch the first two episodes. Everything we were hoping it would be, it was for me. Uh, so there, that's all. And let me ask you this, since I don't know either. Uh, mm. How about Grand Admiral Thrawn? Uh, do we need to know anything major about his backstory going into these episodes? Well, yeah, I would say so. I would say you need to know something about his importance and his power. Okay. Uh, and I think that's really important. To I know. think that's fair. So, I mean, I think and really can, quickly you know, again, this is YouTube videos to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think like, you know, Grand Admiral Thrawn is a Chiss uh, from the yeah. Chiss Ascendancy, which is a group of aliens that live in the unknown regions uh, out a little bit outside of the galaxy, far, far away that we all know. Uh, he rose up within the ranks of the Chiss Empire became an awesome, badass, uh, tactical genius, uh, uses other alien species art uh, to understand them, which gives him an edge up in being able to defeat people. He like looks at the art and he can kind of extrapolate what it is about these alien species, how they work, how they think, uh, which makes him an amazing military tactician. Yeah. And ultimately, uh, he traveled to uh, the galaxy that we know was picked up by the Empire rose up through the ranks and became a grand admiral of the empire leading into star wars rebels well you set me and, up that okay what so i didn't know you had this information already ready to go you set me up for that one so i like that i right. mean you know, i know you know. a lot about grand admiral thrawn the thing about grand admiral thrawn is obviously he was created by timothy zahn in the original uh heir to yeah. the empire like the very first star wars book that came out he's one of the og villains that came out in novel form um, but when all of that stuff became Star Wars Legends, when Disney bought Star Lucasfilm, we all thought Thrawn was going to be gone forever until he showed up in Star Wars Rebels. And they sort of reinvented him as a Rebels villain. And then subsequently, Timothy Zahn wrote six books about Thrawn, three that take place uh, with his rise in the Empire and him being the Grand Admiral, and three prequels that kind of go through in great detail his whole rising up within the Chiss Ascendancy. So there's a lot of information about Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, but I think the key things to John's point is he was a grand admiral in the empire. He yeah. was a badass. I mean, he was like, right. He was so badass that Darth Vader was getting a little nervous about Thrawn's relationship with the emperor. Like that's how yeah. much of a badass he was. Um, and ultimately his bit that his big issue was he hated those rebels in star Wars rebels. Harrison Dula kept one upping him. He really has a hard time understanding the force and the Jedi and ultimately Ezra Bridger, who's who's one of his force powers was being able to communicate with animals, had a bunch of space whales called Purgil show up, <laughs> wrap up grand Admiral Thrawn. And the two of them disappeared into whale hyperspace to parts unknown, which is why Thrawn disappeared before the events of a new hope. So, you kind of have New Hope, Empire, Return of the Jedi, and now with Ahsoka picking things up, 
Grand Admiral Thrawn is returning, as was alluded to in Mandalorian Season 3, and this is the guy that is important enough, smart enough, and dangerous enough that he might actually put the Empire back together. And Ahsoka and Sabine and Harrison Dula all have a very personal relationship with this guy going into Ahsoka. Yeah, I would definitely say if you're going to watch anything from Rebels, watch those last few episodes of Rebels. It's just to give you some good background on what you're going to get, because a lot of people are already commenting on this in their first reactions that um, it feels like a continuation of Star Wars Rebels. So get yourself familiar with Star Wars Rebels so you can have a little background walking into this because you might be lost on a couple of things. So, yep. You know, yeah. And if you're uh, lost, just come to me because I can clearly answer <laughs> all of your questions. <laughs> Or come to the Jedi Way, which we are going to be dropping an episode uh, uh, tomorrow with me and Laura Kelly talking mm. about the best Clone Wars episodes with Ahsoka Tano, just to give a little more background to what Michael already fleshed out. Must here. have uh, missed my invitation. That's no, no. <laughs> I'm busy anyway. It's the weekend. I'm going out. I got plans. Oh, my God. I got plans. Wow. I'm busy. I'm Sorry. busy. Sorry, Jedi Master. We will think of you in the future for sure. Um, all right. Well, there you go. That's our. I hope, I hope Mike. I think Michael did a wonderful job. Michael, a wonderful job giving you everything you need to know for Ahsoka Tano and uh, a, a Grand Admiral Thrawn before you go into the Ahsoka series. So hopefully, you all picked up a lot of information that you'll have uh, to use as you watch these first two episodes. Obviously, the three of us will be reviewing the first two episodes uh, that come out. I can tell you right now, they're almost an hour each. So ah! get ready for that. Get ready for that. Like so, a real hour or like an MCU Disney Plus hour? 55 minutes. Does that sound? That's a first with credits? episode is 55 minutes. Oh, with credits. Yes, 55 minutes with credits. Still, that's giving me a good, that's still a solid 40 something. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. In the second episode, a little bit less, but around that time. Uh, so we may have to split our reviews up into one episode and then the second episode and release them as two separate reviews for sure because there's a lot a lot to consume in each of those episodes so y'all better get ready for that for sure um all right well there you go thank you all so much for watching this uh, brand new episode of the geek buddies we appreciate it madly shannon what do we have to tell them yeah if you'd like to follow us on social media on twitter it's at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies if you'd like to follow me on social media on twitter at shannon underscore mcclung on instagram at shannon the geek buddy mikey put those glasses back on for a second if you'd like to follow Jedi Master Ryan Stone, it's at MK2. Oh. And if you would like to follow Mr. Roka, it is at the Roka says. I was so disappointed when you took him off. Like, no, you got to put him back on. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, uh, if you enjoyed this episode of John Roka talking about rats, me geeking out about Star Wars, and Shannon McClung setting himself up for a joke that probably wasn't really worth it. Uh, we are glad that you had a good time. And here's what you can do for us. Go ahead and smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Leave your comments below. Uh, what are you excited about? What do you think of these trailers? What do you think of Bradley Cooper and Maestro? And uh, what are you hyped for, concerned for, excited for in Ahsoka? Let us know below in the comments if you're listening to us on a podcast go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments so we go up in the rankings and as always the best thing you can do is retweet this video post it on your socials send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies the geek buddies <sighs> look at the robes on jedi rhinestone oh my oh man all right let's get out of here you guys are amazing thank you for joining us have a great weekend go see blue beetle and uh we will and look for our spoiler review which we'll be doing live 
either Sunday night or Monday night. We'll let you know about it. We'll announce it on our social media. So look for that as well. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.